Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is fellow automotive journalist Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings, human listeners, indeed. As I said before, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and today we have an extra guest, Chad from the Future Motoring Podcast. Say hi, Chad. Hello, non-human listeners. Chad has a last name, too, just for anyone who's curious. It's Kirchner, and, and he's very welcome on this podcast. <laughs> well, thank of you. Course, I, yes. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's it's I, I like having a last name. It's useful for certain things. Chad, Chad, tell us tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us where you hail from. I mean, we know, but ostensibly there are people in the audience who don't. Oh, well, well hello, all uh, Google bots and um, podcast automatic subscribers. Um, I'm getting Amazon. Amazon's in oh, there. Oh, yep. Sorry. Yes. All Amazon. Alexa apparatus. <laughs> um, Alexa, delete this podcast. Um, <laughs> no. 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 Um, I live in uh, northern Ohio, uh, middle of absolute nowhere. Um, though you could also argue that it's the middle of everywhere because I live an hour and a half from Detroit, Cleveland, and Columbus. So the trifecta. The, the, yes. Yes. I think that's what we call it now. Not really. Um, I'm a freelance journalist, like sort of like you folks. I talk about cars and trucks and and stuff. Um, I'm 34. I'm a cancer. Um, Long walks on the beach. I, I don't know how to swim now. Well, that's fact. okay. Just just stick oh. to the sand. And you know, it's 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 great that Chad's on our podcast with us because he was gracious enough to host us on his future motoring podcast quite some time ago, and it's taken us too long to repay the favor. Oh well, I mean, you know, you have real jobs and like. You know, <laughs> real outlets and all of that Aww. stuff. So, hey now. You know. Hey now. I mean, auto guide, real. Mm. We're worried <laughs> about that. Um, Chad, we've got a couple of things to talk about, and I think you've uh, you've probably heard the rundown, but uh, I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are on some of the vehicles that we've uh, we've got. First of all, we're going to carry over the, the supercar theme that we had last week. Um, ben is going to take it over right now for a very brief period of time. Ben. Tell me what supercars you can talk to talk to me about. I'm actually going to skip the supercars because there's something else that I want to talk about before we talk about the supercars. Because I have a more feeling, interesting than supercars. Not necessarily, but I have a feeling the supercars conversation is going to go places. Uh, and I wanted to kind of before that happened get in something about the car I'm driving this week. Okay, hit me with it. What are you driving this week? So I am driving the 2017 Volvo V90. And for those of you in the audience who don't know what the V90 is, that's not surprising because it is the wagon version of the S90, the biggest car that Volvo makes. And it's a full-size wagon, which is perhaps the rarest vehicle on the road today. (laughs) Um, I honestly can't think of another company making a full-size wagon. The E-Class is ostensibly a mid-size, even though it's probably in reality a full-size but this is Volvo's flagship vehicle, the, the S90 sedan, and uh, they decided to make a wagon version. And instead of keeping it in Europe, like most companies do when they make a, uh, a long roof, they brought it over here. And I have no idea why they did that, because I don't think anyone's going to buy it. Not because of anything wrong with the vehicle. I just feel like the market has largely ignored wagons forever, and everyone's obsessed with crossovers and SUVs. But um, while that was definitely my strong mindset going into the week with the car, there were some things that happened over the course of driving it that really surprised me and kind of made me change my mind. First of all, I want to talk about the V90 a little bit more because I know what you're saying in terms of the buyers have kind of ignored wagons. They're going to crossovers um, or even SUVs in general. But 
there might be a couple of people and it feels funny because it feels like Volvo is targeting these these few people who are like crossovers. Nah, that ain't for me. And then they get they get a Volvo wagon instead. Excuse me, Professor Hunting, <laughs> from the back. Yeah. Um, is that the V90 or is it the V90 cross country? It's just the V90. It's not the cross country, which is the fake crossover version of the V90. Uh, right. With like it's like what, what 1.6 inches taller and has some body cladding. Oh, well, yeah. to back up your whole, like, who's going to buy this thing, um, they're not even carrying it, in, <laughs> at least in U.S. dealerships. Like, you have to order it. Kind of like what so, Cadillac did with the CTS wagon after a certain amount of time. Right. So yes, I it, heard about and, this, that you have to, like, specially order it. It'll come, but you have to, like, find it. And I, I'm curious, too. I don't – Chad, are they in showrooms at all? Like, do you get one so that people might actually think about ordering <laughs> it one day? I, the way that I the way that I understand it, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong, um, is no. It's you, you, they'll carry cross countries, but if you don't want if you don't want the cross country, like you're kind of buying blind almost. That's, <laughs> that's like a, a very post, good point. There's a poster on the wall that's like V90. Order it today. Well, you know, and it's it's really too bad. I mean, Chad, you use the words buying blind and i think that it's the styling that's going to grab most people when it comes to the v90 just like it was with the s90 uh volvo's really gone all in with their new um in your face this is a very stylish vehicle attitude that these are not shrinking violet vehicles especially one that's as large as the v90 it's it looks great and one of the things that made me think maybe it has a chance at success is i've had people compliment the car from the sidewalk while I was in traffic. And that normally doesn't happen unless I'm driving a sports car. But I was just in a wagon. And it's it's not even the best color either. It's like a it's a white, it's fine, but it doesn't really show off the angles of the car as well as some of the other colors. And I've had I've caught people just clocking me through intersections, either because it's super rare and you don't see them. I mean I've seen a few of the cross countries, but this is I don't see any of the V90s. Um, but the fact that there's they're not in showrooms, although cross countries will be in showrooms. So maybe there's a little bit of people will see that and be like, hey, do you have this but as a car? <laughs> but uh, it, it's really too bad. Uh, I think I think the looks are the number one appeal for the V90. It's it's Everything else about the car is the S90. It's the same. It's got the – I'm driving the T6, which is – this one has all-wheel drive, eight-speed automatic transmission. It has 316 horsepower and just under 300 pound-feet of torque from a four-cylinder engine that's supercharged and turbocharged because – warranties are amazing and um it's the interior is quite nice it's not quite at the same level as the xc90 which is i realize i'm saying 90 over and over <laughs> thank you yeah. Volvo branding but uh <laughs> that's their full-size suv it, it's it's got a quite quite a nice interior uh but it, it's useful i mean there's a ton of space inside um you can put the seats down and make even more space if you have to mm-hmm. it, it's reasonably quick although it's not sporty at all um it has a sport mode but i mean the suspension just doesn't back it up it's it's not it's not a fun car to drive quickly it's really more of a cruiser and um the only other things i don't really like about it are the it has a start stop that's relentless like yeah I was in traffic, bumper-to-bumper traffic, and every single time I put my finger, I, I took my foot off the gas, it shut the car down. Every single time. Yeah. And so within it's this, super sp- quick with it. It's just like, oh, you're done now. Exactly. Uh, and then like off. in a 60 second period, the car's turned itself <laughs> yeah. on three times, and that, that's yeah. that's annoying. Um, Ben, I wanna I wanna slow you down for a moment. Can we think for a Nothing moment? Nothing can slow me down, Sammy. <laughs> you, you're you're in a Volvo. Some things can slow you down. We're gonna we're gonna say. What was the last Volvo that people would have called you out in traffic for? What would it be? The P1800? <laughs> uh, no, the Polestar, I think. 
Oh, yes, the blue ones. Yeah, the blue ones. <laughs> Basically, with, somebody going, nice blue car. <laughs> but, you know, I, this is getting close to as much attention as the Polestar did. Okay. Which that, is I shocking. Mean, <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, it make, you make it, now you make it sound like maybe four people said, like, hey, nice. I've, I've, I do find the vehicle. I do find the vehicle quite attractive. Um, yeah. Just sort of, you know, doing that S ninety V ninety comparison. I think I would go the V ninety every time, and not because I'm an auto journalist and we're supposed to like wagons, <laughs> but I really don't like the taillights on the S ninety. Oh no, I, I agree with you. I yeah, think I, the, I could see that. I think the the S ninety is more. Oh, if you had to choose between the two of them, yeah, the V ninety is is definitely the one to take. It looks better. It's far more practical. And it gets all the benefits of the S90, but with one more additional upgrade, which is the, the cargo space. And, 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 you know, are, and sorry, if you are another journalist, it comes in brown. It does come in brown. It's a nice brown too. Can you but, tell me about the? Can you tell me what you think about the? So like Volvo's thing used to be safety, and now Volvo's thing is drop dead gorgeous design, and well, yeah. both inside and outside too. We've talked about that in the past. I think it's because everyone's thing is safety now, so it doesn't make sense for Volvo to just be like, well, you know, we we've always been safe. I mean, no one, no one. That's not really a. You can't put that under as a tagline in the ad. So they had to do something, and uh, they they did a good job of with with design. Uh, there's an exception to their design that I think is kind of glaring, and that's the uh, the infotainment system on the the V90 and the S90 and anything else ending in 90 from Volvo. It's like a big kind of ta- fake tablet thing on the center center stack, and I find. Um, it alternates between being plain and confusing, where there's menus that slide from the top, slide from the sides. If The main screen looks okay, but if you hit, like, let's say you're listening to music and it's streaming from your phone and you're like, oh, I want to focus on that, and you hit the tile that shows you the music, you just get, like, a single rectangle across the screen and the rest of it's just black. It, it's, it's kind of a weird... I, I feel like they didn't really think of people having to use this while the vehicle was in motion. And uh, that's kind of a common complaint with a lot of infotainment systems, but especially the one in the Volvo. Hello. The uh, touch points are pretty tiny. Yeah, they are. And there's no hard buttons for things like uh, climate, which is kind of frustrating. It's all done through the screen. If you're wearing gloves, Mm -hmm. that sucks. I mean, all of us here live in a winter climate, so we have to deal with that on a regular basis. The... XC60 actually got much improved in that uh, in that regard. It it it, sl- it smoothed out some of the infotainment system in a pretty uh, reasonable way. Um, and I, I just you know I I know people are probably not super interested in the V90, but uh, I don't want to belabor the point. But I do want to mention again that there is no competition to this vehicle, uh, unlike the S90, which I think is kind of outcompeted by things like the Genesis G90, uh, which offers better value and more power and a better drive. Um, you, if you want a, a luxurious wagon that's in, in Canada, this thing's around, starts around 60,000. I think it's a little bit cheaper in the U S you, you have nowhere else to go. If you can buy a Mercedes wagon, sure, but it's not going to be as big and it's not going to offer, you're going to pay more for options. So Volvo's got the market all to themselves, whether that market actually exists or not, it's kind of the question. And uh, you mean that literally. It's not like nothing can compete with this. It's no, it's, in... <laughs> there's nothing. I mean, you can't – you're not going to get – no one else makes a flagship wagon. Like the E-Class is under the S-Class, but there's nothing under the 90 from Volvo. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you can't get, like, a, a V110. You know, like, this is the – this is it. This is the nicest Volvo you can buy, and you can buy it as a wagon. Uh, I, I honestly – I'm not – 
I, I liked it when I drove it, um, but I, I'm with you. I'm a little confused as to who's going to purchase this thing. Um, and they and even made a, a more interesting, a sportier design model called the R-Design. Um, and we have, uh, one of my colleagues drove that and was came away pretty impressed. And, you know, it, I'm a wagon owner, and I love wagons, so I don't have anything against this vehicle. And I just wish more people, I mean, to me, this does everything an SUV does, or at least everything an SUV, I would need an SUV to do. And I wish more people would see that because it drives nicer, it's safer um, in the sense that it's not as tippy, and it also happens to be more comfortable. So all of these things together, cars are always going to drive better than SUVs unless you spend a ton of money negating the fact that they're so heavy. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, it just seems to be a huge blind spot in the market. And think, in, in speaking about uh, cars that drive well, I'm going to jump in and, uh, and talk about one of the comparisons that I had last week between two sporty compact cars. I'm going to take the, the current new thing on the scene, that's the Civic Si, not the Type R because that's just way too much, but the Civic Si uh, sedan, and I compared it to the Elantra Sport. Both of these cars have four-cylinder engines that make around 200 horsepower. They have four doors, they have manual transmissions, and... Um, they're both actually really fun to drive for not a lot of money. Have you driven either of these guys? Um, the Elantra Sport and the Civic Si? You're mm -hmm. not talking about the GT, not the hatch, but the actual sedan. Yeah, the, the sedan. Yeah, I've driven both. I've, okay. driven, the, I've driven the Sport. And uh, I will say that when I first drove the Elantra Sport, I came away surprisingly like uh, happy with it. I thought it was really solid um, move up for, for Hyundai in this in this department. And that's because in, in the past, like a... Hyundai has always struggled with getting some sporty driving dynamics in their small cars, and they've also they but they've also made really good engines. They, I think the 1.6 turbo has always been really good in say the Veloster when it first uh, the Veloster turbo when it first showed up, but that had really junky transmission. I mean, really junky uh, suspension. And now they've given it a good suspension, and the cars is reasonably fun to drive. Um, so I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that Elantra Sport. That is until I drove the Civic Si, and that just blew me away. What's the, the price difference between the vehicles? They're very close. Maybe two thousand um, dollars at the at the most. And that's in favor of of the the Elantra would be cheaper. Okay. Uh, the major differences between the two cars, you can get the Elantra with a automatic transmission, a dual clutch unit, which I really wouldn't recommend. But you know, for some people who don't change gears on their own, they, that's an option that's available for them. Um, but other than that, the Civic SI seems to do everything a little bit better. I mean, we're talking about a car with, a, a compact sports car with adjustable, like adaptive suspension. Um, and that's really cool. For under 25 grand, that's pretty sweet, actually. My uh, opportunity to drive the uh, Civic SI was actually, um, it was at Road America, and it was in the soaking wet. <laughs> and um it actually gripped really well like i was really surprised with the the wet tire traction of the stock summer tires that come on it um i go back and forth on the civic si i i agree with you it's absolutely the better of the two cars um because you get a limited slip diff too yeah. there's no, it's an open differential on the uh the elantra and while that doesn't really matter a whole lot um in normal day-to-day -day driving um, I was able to also drive it on an autocross sort of the same day. And you can just, I mean, you go around a particular corner and that inside wheel just, just, you know, smokes and it's like, well, this isn't really fun, but, uh, and the civic doesn't have that. I mean, doesn't have that 
happening. In fact, it feels like you can put the power down so much sooner because and, and so much more confidently with that limited slip. Differential. And it, it, I assume the limited slip is standard with the SI? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because it, 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 traditionally it has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh at least here in the United States, it's like you buy the SI and that's it. That's the, that's the trim. Okay. Like there's there's nothing else to order, other than you want a four door or two door. Um, right. I, I I do kind of like some of the equipment a little bit better on the Elantra. Um, mm-hmm. comes with uh, HID headlights. The standard SI ones are halogen and they're fairly dim at night. Um, you get a real volume knob. Hey, yes. You know. Yeah. <laughs> some people some people may care about that. And um, styling you also is. Might wanna, you, sorry, go ahead, Ben. I was just say styling's a little less uh, divisive too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes, the Elantra. I will be honest. The Elantra is the far more attractive vehicle of the two. I think the Civic Si is a little overstyled still, um, and I don't know. It just doesn't catch my eyes um, in in any way that makes me go, "Hmm, that's nice." Um, the other thing is the info. Speaking of that that volume knob, the infotainment system in the Honda that needs to go. Like that needs to go now. And Elantra, the Elantra has a much better. Uh, infotainment setup yeah i mean they both support uh android auto and carplay so you can kind of negate some of the infotainment issues but yeah i think the elantra is sort of the the better setup there and if i'm not mistaken it has a little bit more rear seat room in the sedan mm-hmm. that's right so. just a, a little bit more room uh in the back there but you can't get can you get an si uh coupe yep yes and you can't get that from uh from from hyundai no you cannot so I, I mean I know it's a tiny it's a tiny tiny sliver in the market that's buying that car but I guess there's there's someone who cares about that. What surprised me about the two cars is just how much faster the um, the Civic Si felt, and despite the fact that it just has four apparently on paper four more horsepower and actually less torque than the Elantra, somehow it, it just felt like like a rocket, and uh, I was really surprised at that. And it's even got like a, a smaller engine, 1.5 versus 1.6. But you know, it was fun that the you know the thing about the Elantra Sport that really got to me was it seemed like it had been tuned by someone who wanted to make the car fun. Like it made fun noises and it, it was it was responsive and the suspension was responsive. Everything felt like it wanted you to drive it. Yep. And uh, there's so many modern sport compact cars where they've kind of gone in the other direction and they're like, well, we're going to throw a turbo at it and um, the software is not going to let you play. I think about you know, the perfect example is Nissan, uh, the the Sentra SER, which is not or at all Nis- pleasant. Or you mean the Nismo? Any, any, any version of the Sentra. Oh, I yes. mean, okay. it's just not engaging. You don't want to drive the Nismo fast. You don't want to drive the SCR fast or any any of the SE Turbo, sorry. Uh, it's just... Not a pleasant car. It's not a fun car. And then you have the Elantra come along, a car that traditionally hasn't been, you know, associated with whimsy. <laughs> yeah. And and they managed to bottle that. And and I was impressed by that. I agree with you on that. I I really did. I, and again, I drove the Elantra. I was super enthusiastic about it. I thought it was a really solid purchase. I just found the Civic SI to do everything just one better um, than than the Elantra, which is so rare. So usually you can find, you know, a couple of things here and there. But in terms of driving dynamics, I found the Civic. And I got to be honest, the transmission in that in that Civic is is one of the best in the industry. Yeah, it's good. But Honda's, I just wish I mean, the Honda I wish the now. Honda sounded better. That's my biggest problem. It sounds like nothing. Uh, while the Elantra has a lot of personality, especially in its exhaust note. Well, even the Type R Civic doesn't really sound particularly mm-hmm. loud or awesome. So it's like, uh, I I would say that if your if your daily drive consists of you know, a canyon pass by the Civic. If um, you're Batman. 
yeah, yeah. If, yeah. leaving if Wayne Manor at a high rate of speed. Then, then yeah, I think the Civic's the great buy. I think though, if I were looking sort of for an everyday car, I kind of lean towards the Elantra. And don't forget, there is that still that ten year powertrain warranty. Yeah, and yeah, I mean is a, that is a big deal. So it's also worth pointing out the other vehicles that you would pick up in this in this segment. There's still the GTI, which I think people pick up as the do anything kind of sporty car. Yeah, and but it's it's a hatch. I mean, are, is it really competitive against the Elantra Sport? Because at that point, you know, you're looking at the Elantra GT Sport, which is an entirely different vehicle. You really you really feel that's all all kinds of different cars in there, right? Huh. Well, I mean, the the GT the the Elantra GT and the Elantra are different platforms. And so you're saying. Right. They're saying the same thing. What about the the Focus ST, for example? Or no, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't think the ST competes with the uh, the Elantra, or the it might compete with the SI. They they make an SI hatch. No, no, it's just just Type R, right? So yeah, yeah, it's 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 muddled because there's some people who will only buy hatchbacks. Like that's just who they are, and that's why they buy the GTI. But then uh, you're bringing so, in. I still think there's a price price and option consideration, like a Focus ST. Here, I mean, it's like twenty six. Yeah, it is kind of it is much pricier. The GTI, if you get anything other than the absolute base, at least sticker price, you're still into that twenty five, twenty six range. Mm-hmm. Like the how much is the Civic? The Civic's like twenty four. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Civic will start at around twenty four, and uh, the Elantra will be just a little bit uh, more affordable, about two thousand. I know you can't. I, I know you can't see me, but I'm basically that shrug emoji, like right now, doing that, <laughs> like oh, you know. And the thing is, when you're buying a car like this, um, something that I've really kind of focused on more recently is there are people like it's it's their everyday car. It's something they have to live with. They have they worry. They have other concerns other than just maybe how quick it is. You know, it's yeah. because they, they can't afford. I mean, these people aren't can't afford to go out and buy or have to deal with a car that's out of commission for a while or things like that. So. Like, I, I think that a couple of grand does make a difference in price, and mm-hmm. I think that cuts out the GTI, and I think that cuts out the Focus ST, which is getting really old. Focus is old, but uh, it's true. And I, I really liked the Elantra GT, not to you know segue away from what we're talking about. And I do like that there's a non sporty trim too, there's that that standard sort of premium trim that they offer. And it was a really nice car, it drives really nice. But yeah, they're different platforms, and they they handle differently. Well, speaking of platform sharing, um, last week Sammy talked about his Aventador uh, situation mm-hmm. out in Pebble Beach, and I had the chance. I you know Sammy opened the podcast by referring to a supercar, which I know you've all been waiting for twenty minutes for us to actually talk <laughs> about. Now, uh, that's referred to as bait and switch, by the way. And um, I drove a Lamborghini from another mother, which was the uh, Audi R8 Spider. Mm-hmm. And I spent I spent last week with that car, and when I say spent last week, I mean I spent oh, about 800 miles, 900 miles behind the wheel. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, I had a couple of uh, road trips to do, and they coincided with the R8 being in my possession, and so I had a real chance to kind of live with the car rather than just drive it around town and i was shocked by how good it was um i've i've so the r8 is basically a, a huracan mm-hmm. or a huracan is basically an r8 depending they on have very they have a ton in common i mean but the, the i think the core parts the platform the engine the transmission uh i think are, are 
truly shared between the two. Exactly. You're looking at different tunes for for the engine and and the the suspension and the transmission basically that's and of course dramatically different styling which I'll, I'll get to later mm-hmm. but uh, I, I've driven the Huracan and I liked it it's actually it's a fairly friendly car to drive uh, as long as there are no speed bumps or curbs anywhere near where you're driving uh, as long as you can handle people taking your picture every 30 seconds probably while they're driving beside you at a high rate of speed. Um, or as long as you don't mind constantly being afraid of parking it <laughs> and leaving it somewhere, uh, it's it's very much an exotic. It's but the the R8 uh, and the Spider, which is what I drove, which has the top that goes down. Um, it's kind of like a weird straddling between the world of the exotic and the world of Audi. And um, so you're the, saying the, the way you describe the Huracan can't be can't be used to describe your feelings on the on the no, R8? No, not at all. Not so at all. Okay, can continue. That's really interesting. So the R8, first of all, the, the, the Huracan has Huracan has a system to raise the suspension up in the front so you can get over speed bumps and stuff like that. The R8 is just high enough to not have to bother with that. I never got the car hung up on anything in 900 miles of driving, which is incredible for a supercar, basically. Uh, second of all, it's it's it, it's out there. Like it, it it it's very visually striking, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the same aggressive "I'm going to murder your whole family" look that a Huracan <laughs> does. And it's kind of funny. Is I was talking to a representative at Audi, and he was he was describing the difference between Huracan buyers and and R8 buyers, and he says that he can always instantly identify Lamborghini buyers as soon as they walk into his showroom, <laughs> because they have a certain. He says there's 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 something about them some of them have like a certain scruffiness and uh they have a uh it's like a the the air that anything could happen at any moment (laughs) like they're living (laughs) life to its fullest and maybe a little bit on the edge and they might be more impulsive when they buy a car Mm. but the r8 people it's 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 totally different it's a people who come in and buy the r8 they've They've compared it to, you know, no one buys a uh, com- comes in and buys a Lamborghini and after test driving a Ferrari and an R8 and a bunch of other stuff. You know, they mm-hmm. come in because they want to buy a Lamborghini. But people who buy an R8, they've driven an F-Type, they've driven a 911, and they're they're that those are, they've actually they're making a decision based on experiences that they've had with with competitive cars. Um, so it's 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 a totally different buyer, and I think that's really reflected by how much more logical everything about the R8 felt. Can you talk to me about the performance of the vehicle? I mean, how do you feel? Did you still feel excited when driving this thing? Oh, yeah. Um, so it is a, it's a 560 horsepower V10, mm-hmm. a 5.2 liter engine that's mounted just behind your head. And when I say just behind your head, I mean that because you put the top down and like you can reach out and touch the top of the plate where the engine emissions, like the heat and whatnot, <laughs> the, the heat sinks. You can just have your hand on that while you're driving, which is kind of fun to do. Um, it, it sounds amazing. It, it has three drive modes. It's got auto. It's got um, dynamic, and it has, I believe, it has a comfort mode, but it also has an individual mode. So I guess there's a fourth, fourth mm-hmm. drive mode where you can specify various things. Um, I kept it in dynamic almost all the time, which is gives you harder shifts, more aggressive exhaust sound, uh, more aggressive throttle mapping. But when I was cruising on the highway, I put it in individual, which was auto everything except for the exhaust, which I could turn on to the loudest, which is great. I wish all supercars <laughs> yeah. or any sports car would do that. Just let me have the exhaust be as loud as I want at any time. Don't force me into some kind of weird mode to do that. Um, but regardless of what mode I was in, the car was super comfortable. Uh, I was driving mostly on two-lane highways and a lot of interstate. 
kind of a split between those two things. And the car was just, I, I got out of the car after five hours of driving and it felt super, I, I felt fresh. Uh, I didn't feel like I'd been cramped inside a tiny cockpit. I didn't feel like I'd been beaten up by the suspension on the car. It, it just really felt like it had been designed to uh, kind of provide, like, look, look, here, this car looks outrageous, but the performance is, is manageable and it, it, it's a 198 mile an hour car. Um, <laughs> That's that's the top speed. It does zero to sixty in three and a half seconds or three point two seconds, depending mm-hmm. on how you launch it. But none of all of that is just beneath the surface. It's there for you to access it if you want to, but you don't have to live that you know nails on the chalkboard, holding onto the edge of the cliff lifestyle every second you're behind the wheel. You brought up something really interesting about how you you could have felt cramped. You could have felt cramped or. Um, um, or really like, I don't know, claustrophobic in this thing, but this is an open air supercar. And it, I think that also, you know, that's why I think that might be why some op- drop top supercars are, are more popular because they help the driver and the passenger breathe a little bit more. Did well, this car feel good with the, with the roof up and with the roof down? I only very briefly drove the car with the roof up because that's not what you're supposed to do with convertibles. Mm-hmm. But I, I can say this, um, the Mazda MX-5 RF, the, the RF Miata with the retractable folding hardtop, mm-hmm. that feels cramped with the top down. Right. With and the rub. With, that's because it still has that weird little, um, I don't know what to call it, fender behind. Like, yeah. It's, a t- it's, a, it's almost like a, like a target, right? Yeah, sail Yeah, panel. exactly. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be an open air. Just because just it's a, a convertible car doesn't mean necessarily it's going to feel open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I did think about that. I was like, is, is the only reason I'm feeling this difference between the Huracan and the R8's interior because of the, the, the top going down? I don't think so. I think just the Audi had better ergonomics, and I feel like the, the interior was managed better. And um, the trunk's actually pretty decent, too. You get, like, 4.4 cubic feet, I think. I, I was able to put a bag of charcoal in there and plus a whole bunch of groceries and stuff. Um, cool. it's, it just, it's just strange that, you know, I'm driving this 200 mile an hour car that you could drive every day and not really feel like you were making a compromise. And that shocked me. Uh, I was surprised by how good the car was. I wasn't expecting that. And I'm not really into exotics. They're not my thing. Um, I appreciate them, but they're not something I aspire to own. But at the end of my stewardship of the R8 Spider. I was trying to think about, you know, like, could I fit this into my life? Is this, is this like, <laughs> is there anything responsible about, like, you know, like picking up one of these used in a few years over, say, a 911? Well, bringing up the 911, I think, is a good point because people drive 911s daily. So if you're trying to build a car that sort of competes in that same sort of price, like, it, it has to be something you can conceivably live with every day. And you know, you, you would think that, but but McLaren doesn't do it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Audi made that extra effort that you're describing, and it's an effort that a lot of exotics don't try to do. Well, it's the one I would buy just beforehand before we even started talking. Like, it's yeah. just it's what I want um, because partially I want to be Tony Stark, but you know, <laughs> it's uh, I, I just I mean, it has Audi's virtual cockpit, so you know, it it feels very tech and very modern. Um, I've been told the paddle shifters feel like a piece of plastic and kind of junky, but it's can, it's hard to confirm. It's, well, it's hard to notice how they feel when you have that engine screaming behind you. Like right. I, that that forgives a lot of sins, I think. 
Uh, I didn't really take issue with any aspect of what I was touching inside the car. Everything felt pretty much up to what I'd expect a car that starts at $177,000 to feel. Uh, virtual cockpit's a little weird to get used to because everything happens right in front of you. You can't, like, you, I get so used to dividing my attention between the gauge cluster and, like, the center stack. Right. So infotainment's over here, navigation's over there. But everything is, like, bam, in your face. And you have to figure out how Audi has desi- decided to arrange that to get the most out of it. But um, it, it, after enough time, you figure it out. It's It's not overwhelming. Is it special to the... R8, or was it the same exact same setup that was in that TTS you had recently? It looked really, really similar to the TTS. There was, there's more stuff, like there's a whole bunch of performance stuff, lap timers and things like that, um, that that are in the R8 that aren't necessarily in the RS, uh, the, the TTS. Uh, so the, the, there's that that's special. Uh, the but the interesting too is the the way the um, the hard buttons for things like uh, heated seats and the climate control system those were felt very different from the TTS too. Interesting. So and, and just bless them for doing a naturally aspirated V10. Oh, right. for sure. I, oh it's, goodness, it's, yes. No, it's it's so it's so true, and like it's it's a glorious engine. It really sounds great. It's so responsive. Um, it, it the power feels continuous. There's no crazy surges where you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Like on like on a lot of the turbocharged uh, smaller displacement engines you you have in these cars these days, and uh, it just felt very accessible. Like I I would not feel you know necessarily uncomfortable giving almost anyone the key to that car and and saying hey head to the store and get this i mean sure you probably have to pay a little more attention when you're parking next to a curb because it's harder to see the corners Mm -hmm. but you don't have to you don't living in fear of potholes and 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 things like that it's 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 a car that it's it's reasonable despite being completely unreasonable (laughs) isn't that that's really funny because i've noticed a lot of exotics have tried to are, are now gone i at least i thought that Exotics seem to be gunning for that everyday usability. Is are, have exotic buyers become like practical minded in some way or another, or is this just the well, natural progression of, of think, these Think vehicles? about the think about the Aventador you drove. And yeah. Think about think about the complaints you had about that transmission. That yes, that was that was pretty harsh. That was a really interesting um, vehicle. But the rest of it, I could you know at least on the roads I was on, seemed With really. With those blind spots and those overhangs, yeah. Well, if I had and that ride height, if I had a convertible, it'd be very different. But I meant that it was tamer than I would have anticipated. Take into consideration, like the Acura NSX, for example. That's another really smooth riding. Uh, it feels like a Honda Accord crammed in a supercar's body and performance. Uh, it feels kind of like a video game driving the NSX. Chad, have I you mean, had the chance to drive the NSX? I mean, you're you're in Ohio. You you should have the right to drive that. <laughs> yeah, whenever you I, want. I, <laughs> uh no i've only actually ridden in one so i only have a right seat impressions but what, what I, did you think about like just the, just the the feeling of the car and visibility and whatnot i mean obviously visibility is eh, it's what it is um it sounded okay but i don't think i was particularly like there, there was nothing like when i climbed in it i wasn't blown away by anything like it yeah felt, it felt it felt like a honda or an acura which i don't which is a kind of a backhanded compliment, but it's it was good. But I think a supercar should be kind of silly. I and I completely agree. I think it's a little too serious, and I think that the Lamborghini falls on the really kind of silly side, mm-hmm. um, with the extra long overhangs and everything like that. And that's why Sammy liked it. He's at heart, he's silly. Yes. <laughs> and then I th- I really think that like the Audi, like if you kind of bump that back into the conversation. 
is silly in a very outy way. <laughs> so but, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like if the smartest engineers in the room had a couple of drinks, <laughs> right? And we're like, hey, get this. So we have so you know Lamborghini's got this V10. Well, how about this? And then like this like charcoal comes out and they draw it on the wall. They're like, it can look like this. And there's gonna be side strakes and like it's gonna be all wheel drive. But get this, you can drive it anywhere because it's gonna have a reasonable ride height. Because I hate bumping into into the into the bumps in my condo. And the other engineer is like, you're 100% right. And then, like, they wake up the next morning and they're like, oh, what did we do? And then, bam, all right. <laughs> all right, perfect. I think that's exactly how it happened. Well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the car the engineers would want to drive. Like, design a car that you would want to drive. Can yeah, you, that's I it. I mean, it, it looks good. It sounds good. It's livable sort of every day. Isn't that the car you want? And I think that the difference between designing the car the engineers would want to drive and what happened with the NSX is, I think at NS at, at at Honda, they designed the car that the CEO would want to drive, and and that's or the it's just a little. No, I don't even think it's the shareholders. I, I think it was like, you know, leadership's gonna have to really like this if they're gonna sign off on this car, and uh, so that means we gotta we gotta talk about Earth Dreams and all sorts of <laughs> stuff like that. And whereas at Audi, they were like, well, you know what? If leadership doesn't like it, that's fine. They can drive their Lamborghinis because it's all one family. Right. Uh, and what about pricing? Do you think this is it's worth talking about the price of this thing? You said one hundred seventy-seven thousand. That seems yeah okay in a way, in I, a weird way. Well, I mean, a nine eleven Turbo S is more than that, isn't it? Yeah, it's like two hundred something, I think. And I would take. Uh, I think I'd take an R eight over that. And 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 I didn't see a single other R eight the entire week I was driving it, whereas I saw I don't know seven hundred. 911s. Right. I think that's a that's a big. I was counting that. That's a big part. If if you're buying a, an exotic, first of all, I don't know if a 911 is an exotic car. Right. I mean, a 911 Turbo S has exotic level performance, but it looks very similar to the hundred thousand dollar, eighty thousand dollar, whatever Carrera. Right. There's nothing else like the R8. I mean, no one's gonna confuse an R8 and a TT. They're just not, uh, no matter how much Audi would like us to think that they would. I mean, there's similarities, but the, the R8 has presence and exclusivity. And I think that if I'm paying that much for a car, I want both of those things. Well, and if you start looking at pricing and options, because I was actually doing this, when I saw you share photos earlier in the week, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to go to Audi's, you know, build and price tool. Um, like, I could still get in, like, the 190 range. Like a fully loaded one. The only option box, yeah. the only option box I wouldn't check, is the one for the carbon ceramic brakes, because again, yeah. if you're gonna live with it sort of every day, mm. or regularly, have you looked at the price of replacing carbon ceramic brakes? <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. But I, I do want to thank you for bringing that up because I want to mention something about the carbon ceramic brakes. They're nine thousand nine hundred dollar option on the car. Uh, this you got is little mi- you got little micros at each corner of the at each corner. You have tiny car. little micros that like <laughs> throw themselves into reverse every time you hit the brake pedal, like in Ghost Dad, and like the transmission <laughs> drops out the bottom and like hits hits the pavement in a cloud of sparks. No, but um, this is the first car I've driven with carbon cera- carbon ceramic brakes where I was able to properly modulate them at all times, and I didn't feel like when they were cold they were a hassle. I didn't feel like there were a couple times where they they, they break a little more suddenly than I had expected, but overall it's the friendliest carbon ceramic setup I've ever driven, and I was shocked by that because I'm not a fan of those brakes at all. That's really interesting. Do you have any do you have any criticisms here, or are you just uh, are you just on a on an R8 love fest here? Come on, give me something. 
Uh, Say fuel fuel economy. Unlike, no, I I, I can't (laughs) criticize it. Do you you want to know what I got? Sure. I did. 18 miles per gallon. That's reasonable. That's really reasonable. For a V10, for sure. (laughs) For a V10 over 900 miles in in dynamic mode, which limits you to fifth gear most of the time. No, I was I was surprised because uh, I, I I checked a, a few uh, colleagues' reviews and they they were getting stuff like thirteen. Wow. And uh, th- no, it was it was pretty decent, um, especially if you consider that uh, what, what what did I drive uh, last week as well? The Trackhawk. That's that got a we got that down to ten ten <laughs> right. miles per gallon. Well, uh, it, but highway driving, I mean, can really do that because I can get twenty six out of a Hellcat. Out of that's a, true, but a Charger but I, Hellcat. But I, I want to stress that when I say two lanes, um, I was coming down through the White Mountains in New Hampshire at what might have been an extremely high rate of speed, uh, <laughs> limited to maybe four gears. I, I did not baby the car, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised that the more sedate interstate driving was able to balance out the more aggressive driving. Uh, so I think that, you know, if you were to drive normally in auto mode at all times, you could probably come close to 18. I, th- I don't know what the factory rating is, but, uh, it's just, just, you know, that's, that's like, you know, decent full size pickup level, uh, fuel mileage. Yeah. Well, let me, I, I do have two questions though, before we, before we for sure kill the car, um, or beat the, <laughs> or beat the dead horse, I should say. Um, do you wish it had more power? Because there's the, um, yeah. The There's the V10, V10 Plus that's coming. Yeah. The V10 Plus, which which has Huracan levels of power. Uh, no, at no point was I like, I need to get to 60.005 seconds faster. Like there was there was no uh, no sensation that the car wasn't quick enough. And then I know you only drove it briefly with the top up and good for you. But uh, uh, do you, are you okay with a fabric top, or would you rather see a retractable kind of hard top like a la Ferrari? Fabric tops all day long because I, I think in a mid mid engine car you don't have a choice. Uh, I think it's a lot harder to engineer a, a folding hardtop, and uh, weight savings I think is important, um, at least to me. The the weird thing here here's a criticism, Sammy, just for you. Yeah. So, so when you put the top up, there's a there's a glass rear window that goes straight down, and uh, then the top folds. When you put the top back up, the rear window does not come up. Where does it go? <laughs> it stays where it is until you break. hit. There's a manual button for the rear window, and you have to put the rear window up yourself. If you don't put the rear window up yourself, what happens is the car sits all night in front of your house <laughs> with the rear window down and the top up, and you don't know that until the next morning when you go out to use the car because <laughs> what kind of convertible car system doesn't put all the windows up? It's just bizarre. Well, um, here, let me, give you, other... let me give you a crazy German... Like the crazy drunk German counterpoint. <laughs> the only time you should ever put your top up in a car is when it rains. And I would argue that you don't even have to do it when it rains. Just drive faster. But if you do reach the point where you have to put the top up, you still want to hear the engine. So yeah. why should you why should you close the roof and then have to drop that rear window when they could just leave their rear window down? Cause you, I can cause... totally I hear the, someone explaining that to me in a German accent at like a trade show of some kind. <laughs> totally, I can. This is this is a very plausible reason. Um, it, it, the other weird thing about that rear window is that manual button. So seven times out of ten, when you put the top up and then use the manual button for the rear window, it will also put the side windows up. Three times out of ten, it won't. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. That's so there's my there's my criticism of the R8. Rear there's, window is, is a little haunting. If that's the exotic 
inbred happening out? Like, what's, what's going it's, on it's there? Exact, what Chad said is exactly why the rear window goes up and down on its own. Like, you can, if you wanted to hear the uh, the, the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read some some Audi engineers talking about that. Uh, it's pretty quiet with the top up. It's it's decent. I mean, you know, you're not going to go deaf even in dynamic mode. It's 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 uh, it's just a really impressive car, and I, I kind of realized that I'm gushing about it, which is, is surprising to me. Have they incorporated smart hobos anywhere in the car? <laughs> so the there's smart an optional honey connect the connected honeybee system that they there's an optional honeybee hive that uh, that uh, you can replace the frunk with yeah. a hive. And that way, it adds. Uh, you know how some cars have like a, a a tunnel in the firewall that that's like a little tube that brings sound into the uh, into the uh, cockpit. So yeah. in the R8 with the smart hobo system, it drips honey <laughs> onto your feet <laughs> at all times, Perfect. which and is what we all want. Occasionally, a bee flies through it for added drama, uh, which is when you really wish you had either the top or the rear window down. Right. So um. <laughs> I know that this would be calling an audible, but um, just so that it doesn't sound like that all we're doing is gushing about cars. Um, for Woodward Dream Cruise, I had a, a Silverado 1500 that I thought was silly. So, and a, and a why little was it, why was and it a silly? little ridiculous. Um, so Wait, was it the blackout Blackhawk dark black all night black edition? Midnight. <laughs> no, no, no. It was uh, the one I had. It was actually black. Um, it was. <laughs> It was the uh, the 1500 uh, High Country um, High Desert Edition. So it's the Whoa, one. Wait, wait, wait! wait it's what? Country and Desert. Yeah. So because it, it was it's, High Country, I was is that like, like being Colorado, town and right? But... Is that like being town and country? Yeah, like the town and country, and then having an additional country like on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so for your sixty six thousand dollars, you get. Whoa. A um, a V8 powered you know Silverado High Country so all like they're equivalent of a a Platinum or a, a King Ranch or a um whatever Ram calls their uh stuff the Laramie um but then on top of that they put this really stupid contraption in the bed of your truck that looks like that makes your truck look like a, a, an avalanche. But Wait, what? without all the function. So it's it's <laughs> well, like there's no midgate. Like these weird Yeah, there's no there's no midgate, but you get the louvers and what it ends. Oh, it adds a little so bit of ugly. bed storage. It's like a it's a weird bed it's a shelf. It's it, yeah, it's literally a drop in bed kind of a bed liner that gives you a little extra functionality. Um you get something similar to Rambox on the side for storing stuff, but it makes it look like an avalanche. The um I had it for Woodward Dream Cruise and the security guy at the at the hotel was like, Hey, is that the new avalanche? I'm like, no, it's 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 not. It looks like an avalanche, but it's not. Talk about walking away from a powerful brand. I mean, how long has it been since the Avalanche has been on sale? And this guy's still holding a candle for the Avalanche. People, people want the Avalanche. People yeah. want it. Like I, I don't under- necessarily understand why, but people want it, and it looks like it. And people think that's what it is, and they then they see the manufacturer tags, and they're like, "Oh, is that an Avalanche?" Like, no, it is the High Desert, High Country. High Country. Um, notice he did. Notice he didn't say, "Is that a ridgeline?" <laughs> True. Um, the only thing that I really, the one thing that I do like about that particular trim of the truck, and it's the only way to get it, is you have to have the high desert in order to get the <clears throat> Magneto Rheological dampers or Magnaride 
and yes. um, otherwise you have to get a GMC Sierra Denali to get Magnaride, and mm-hmm. Magnaride on a truck is pretty nice. It's outstanding. What engine does I, that uh, one have? The 6.2? Yes, that was the 6.2, but, oh, and not to get all really geeky truck stuff, but I'm pretty sure it had uh, like 333 rear gears, Okay. Um, so it accelerated really, really, really slow. Like it felt like the 5.3, um, but it wasn't. Thank so you, you, EPA. Yeah. So you put your foot down. You just like wait and wait and wait. But uh, you you know it's it's a really nice truck. It's a comfortable truck. Um, just for sixty six thousand dollars, you have a key. You have to use a key to start it. I know it was crazy as uh. it sounds. Um, there's no blind spot monitoring. So. Mm. Which the competition has in a, tr- in a truck, man. Yeah. Fully and then um, they GM likes to give you these uh, forward emergency braking systems, oh, no. but but they don't like to give you radar crews with it. I so, know. So. I I I, that, that, I was lamenting that in a vehicle the other day. It was just it was pretty frustrating. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm frightened now, but I don't feel safer. Like whenever that alarm goes off, it's right. it's just like it's an anxiety generating feature. <laughs> it is. It is, and um, at Dream Cruise, it likes to go off quite a bit. So, <laughs> but a, a, fr- a friend of mine, a colleague that was also there with with GM, he had the uh, Silverado, the Real Tree edition. So, if you, the invisible if, one, yeah, <laughs> yes, um, except it's not. Now that 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 <laughs> truck is just silly. And at one point, somebody yelled, "Yo, do you even hunt?" And I thought that was bro, <laughs> and I just thought it was awesome. So, um. <laughs> Silverado, it's an okay truck. I like Magna Ride, but but uh, I'm kind of down on it until we see the I, new one. I feel weird that like so when they brought out this generation of GM trucks, like they were like, oh yeah, Denali's gonna be the only one with Magna Ride and the only one with the 6.2, and it's gonna be special. And then like two years later, you could get everything on the Denali on a Chev, and they just called it High Country. You know, it, right. it felt a little disingenuous. Yeah, the Magna Ride's still exclusive to the High Country, which I think is a six thousand some dollar package. Um, and all you want out of it is the Magna Ride. You don't want any yeah. of the other stuff. Well, t- tell us a bit more about Dream Cruise. Yeah, could you? I was gonna was, ask you to do. Yeah. I was gonna ask you to do this. I've never thing. been. Neither okay. have I. So, um, you definitely should go. Uh, it it typically falls the same week as Pebble. So, a lot of times journalists end up at Pebble and not at Dream Cruise. But uh, Dream Cruise basically is the world's largest traffic jam slash cruise. Um, I think that's how the locals describe it: world's uh, largest traffic yeah, jam. Yeah, and it is. I mean. During the busiest part of the day, it can take you roughly three to four hours to go about five miles. Um, <laughs> so, but basically, they expect brutal. Around three, you got to have a lot of patience for that. Yeah, they expect <laughs> around three million people to come through. But basically, think of a local sort of cruise in that your town may have, um, and then just imagine it on an extremely massive scale. And that's sort of what Dream Cruise is. Um, M1 Woodward Avenue is the uh, first paved road in the United States, if not North America, if not the world. Um, and during the 50s and 60s, uh, people drive graced on it. Manufacturers, engineers. I think, uh, Ben, you talked a little bit about it when you talked about the, the roadkill stuff that you did. Um, yes, definitely. That event falls around the same time as, as Dream Cruise. And you just see all of the coolest stuff. It's not limited to just old classic cars. It's not limited to just exotics. It's not... You're not going to see stuff that you would see at Pebble for sure, but manufacturers bring out prototypes, manufacturers bring out concept cars, and you'll just see them driving in in traffic. And 
what's kind of cool about it is everybody has their windows down and everybody's really cool to talk to. And you could just be driving in traffic and see something cool and be like, hey, dude, what's, you know, tell me the story of this car. And they'll sit there and talk about it. It's just a whole bunch of enthusiasts doing enthusiast stuff um, in, a very, in a very American way. Um, it, it sounds like a moving car show, which is such a cool concept. Yeah, it's it t- basically takes place between Ferndale and uh, Birmingham, about four or five miles stretch of M1. And yeah, it's a moving car show because you'll never see the same thing in the same place. And everybody's really friendly. Uh, State Farm, I think, is up there towing people like courtesy tows in case your your classic overheats, which is a com- which is a common problem in August in Detroit. Um but That's it's nice. just that is actually really nice. But it's well because I mean part of it is I mean I I know people that'll drive their classics up there, like they won't trailer them in. They'll drive them, and they may not be in the best condition, or they may have, you know, overheating problems. But any car is bound to overheat when you're sitting in stop and go traffic with yeah for sure hundreds of cars around you. Um, you burn out a fan clutch, and things are things get bad right, pretty quick. Right. Uh, but anything you'd ever want to see is is there, and there's a lot of major manufacturer support too. Um, they do a big, huge Mustang. It's called Mustang Alley, where hundreds and hundreds of Mustangs show up for a specific show. Um, GM has their own little thing up uh, up on the north side. Uh, it's just it's it's car heaven for literally that entire week between Roadkill and and Dream Cruise, and it's just it's just cool. You cannot see it in one day, and there's all sorts of cool stories behind each sort of thing. So if you've never been, you should definitely go um, a, a lot, a few days to go uh, because while the main events, everything are on that Saturday, you'll see stuff all week. And yeah, kind of like Monterey is the same kind of idea. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. We, uh, um, I ran into a guy who was driving uh, maybe a 50s, 60s, whatever that very first generation um, power wagon was, Okay. Oh wow, cool! And um, it was—I mean, it was old, rusted through. Um, and it was uh, a um, a tow truck setup. Was set up as a tow truck, and the kid driving it had to been maybe twenty-two, twenty-three. Drove all the way from Utah, maximum speed of forty-five miles an hour. Oh um, my gosh! And just to drive—I mean, it was a cool truck, but it was definitely not restored. It was definitely all original stuff and it was just survivor yeah it was a survivor and he drove it all the way there just to drive in dream cruise and See, that's awesome that it's 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 the people you know it's the people who are who own these cars that make them so cool and uh the fact that they're not just sitting in a garage somewhere but they're they're part of their owner's lives and they're part of this one big energetic event you know like it's it's it, it's hard to overstate how how cool that is. Well, it feels like the way that you described uh, what is it worth to see or whatever it is the Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah, like that sort. Of, it feels like that kind of event. It is a very American flair to it. But at one time, I shared a picture on Facebook that there was a, excuse me, a Citroen, a two CV, and a um, little red Express Ram. You know, driving side by side. Like there's very few places in <laughs> in the world where you'll see that. It's so true. But you'll see the Dream Cruise. So that's a really fun event. You should all go. All the listeners should go. Drive right now. Um, <laughs> actually, if you are just in Detroit anytime during the summer, a, a Friday or Saturday night driving up Woodward Avenue, you'll see you'll see stuff. That's so awesome. Cool. I, I'm looking forward to that. And thank you for that uh, recap of Woodward. I, oh, I yeah. Sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to no, sidetrack was... all of your pre-planned, you know, 
crazy. Oh no, no, like, don't worry about it. No, there's there's nothing that's there's really nothing planned. Really, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the fact that you you're appearing on the show kind of got us more organized this time. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I did want to ask have, you I if there. Have, I want to. I just want. Give me a second, Ben. I have a bunch of friends who say that they prefer Woodward over Pebble Beach every single year, and I think they're crazy. But you know what? I have to take. I have to. I have to switch places with them and see what this is about because it does seem like a really wicked community on the street of car enthusiasts. Um, yeah, of just a it, different breed than Pebble Beach. Don't get me wrong. Pebble Beach is cool, and I definitely want to go. I've actually never been, but I can't. I, I find myself more drawn to the people of Woodward mm. and the experience there and just the the real car sort of passion where Pebble Beach, I mean, there is that there, like, don't get me wrong, but it feels a lot more kind of just rich people kind of showing off the money they have. It's definitely more managed. And yeah, and Woodward is just crazy. I mean, it's it's crazy in a good way. And other than the locals and all the locals get out of town when they can so it's because it, it is terrible you can't get anywhere in that part of town during that time but just if you like cars you have to go very cool well, chad i wanted to ask um if people wanted to hear more of your voice more of your experiences read about it where, where can they find you online um so if they really want sort of the quintessential chad um I do have a, a sort of a landing page site that links to everything that I do, and that's just chadkirshner.com, and it's K-I-R-C-H-N-E-R. Um, but I recently talked about Woodward and stuff on the Future Motoring Podcast, which is futuremotoring.com. Very cool, very cool. Very cool, yes. Um, and Ben, we should uh, tell people about our little thing going on this weekend. Oh, yeah. So, uh, well, it's, you know, it's 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 little and it's not so little, but it has little cars in it. We are sponsoring a race car. In the Micra Cup, which is a series in Canada. Uh, so Micras are these tiny little um, compact, subcompact hatchbacks that are sold only in Canada and elsewhere in the world. They're not sold in the United States, but they made a racing series for them. And it's been, this is, I believe, the second or third year. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty stock series, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And this year, we're sponsoring a car. We are sponsoring uh, Keishi Ayukai's car. He's an Australian uh, driver. He came up through the Nissan Academy, which was the online driving, um, I guess you could say, not necessarily series, but like a competition that uh, existed on PlayStation. And he's mm. he actually has a podium finish already in this season's Micro Cup. And this weekend, he is at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, or as it's more commonly known, Mosport, the old Formula One track north of Toronto. And he's going to try and put that car on the podium again. Uh, he's up there right now. They're doing practice. They're getting ready for the races. And uh, we are excited to be a part of his team, and we're really happy to uh, to be able to participate in Micro Cup with him like this, and we wish him the best of luck this weekend. And uh, let's wrap this thing up. Let's uh, tell people that they can, if they want to talk to Ben at any point in their days, they can probably do it best by tweeting him at HuntingBenjamin. Um, or if you prefer my take on things, you can reach me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing at me or with me. I'm not quite sure yet. It doesn't have to be either or. You can talk to both of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, otherwise, you can find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And you can subscribe to us from SoundCloud or on Google Play Music and iTunes. And we also have a fairly active Facebook page. And as I understand it, Chad, you you have a very you are you are the Twitters. You are you are very involved with Twitter. Is that correct? Um, I do spend probably more time than I should on Twitter. 
Um, where, where can people find you? Which it's just my name. It's at Chad Kirshner. And um, definitely reach out to me there. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me because I don't really pay attention to anything else. Um, <laughs> just to plug, since since everybody has to plug like Auto Guide when they're here, um, <laughs> I, w- I would like to point. I would, I would like to point out. I'm not on AutoGuide yet, but um, uh, give Cole, it time. <laughs> You're within at, Sammy's orbit now. <laughs> uh, Craig Cole was at uh, at Woodward, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming you guys. I know they did a live feed and stuff, so you guys may have some coverage of Woodward up on your own site. So go check that out. Thank you. Because we, we got to go to the uh, Heritage Center, uh, oh, which is for one those of, of you who are. For those of you wondering what the auto guide connection is, that's Sammy. Sammy is auto guide. He is the auto guide. No, no, I'm just I'm the features editor at Auto Guide, and uh, yeah, I guess that's my that's my publication. But uh, thanks, Chad, for for throwing that out there. Uh, Ch- Craig, who was at Woodward, along with Stephen Elmer, um, those guys are awesome, and um, I just didn't get a chance to take a look at the Woodward coverage because yeah, I was just slacking this year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug the uh, the new issue of Roadkill too that just came out. Um, the, the magazine comes out four times a year, and uh, I have a few stories in this issue. One of them is on the Rotson, which is the absolute worst car we've ever had at Roadkill. It's never failed to fail, and we did a I did a history of that car, and it's it's pretty funny because it's 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 terrible. It's the I mean every nightmare you could possibly have with a car is embodied by this rusty you know Datsun, and I'm a Datsun owner myself, so I understand the pain, but. Um, you can check that out on newsstands right now. Um, also, just to do one actual plug for myself, I'm sorry. Um, I recently did a podcast with uh, Rebecca Lindland from uh, Kelly Blue Book, um, part Very of cool. the Cox Automotive stuff. And we talked about Hurricane Harvey and the effects that that's going to have on the industry. So if anybody's interested in a lot of really good numbers, um, she made me sound pretty smart. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, futuremotor.com slash Harvey. Awesome. That would be great to listen to. Rebecca is really cool to talk with, and I can only imagine on a podcast she's that much more interesting. Yeah, she's she's fantastic, and we also talk about places you can donate to specifically for relief efforts. So it's a good time. It's a good show. Because I actually cool. have a friend that was in Houston and talked to me while the flooding was happening. So that's kind of kind of spooky stuff, but it's all good. She's safe. Her family's safe. That's all that matters. Good. Glad to hear Thank it. You. That is good to hear. Thank you, Chad. Thank you once again for joining us um, and for plugging all your stuff. I love that. You know, if uh, if any of our listeners aren't already listeners of yours, I encourage you to subscribe to the Future Motoring Podcast and to check out your stuff. I think it's always great, and I love catching up with you at every event that uh, we get together. And I actually really enjoy this show. Um, I think both of you guys. <laughs> I, I do think both of you guys are hilarious. And um, my well, thank you. Uh, I talked earlier. You know, my drive to the airport's an hour and a half, sort of each way, and. I, I queue up a bunch of podcasts for it. So yours is definitely on the list. So um, sometimes at four o'clock in the morning, that's what I'm listening to. So I appreciate well, it. Doing our best to keep you alive. Awesome. <laughs> Out um, of the ditch. Unfortunately, Ben and I will be unable to provide a podcast next week. We're both traveling, but uh, hopefully the week following and we should be back in action and to definitely regular... the week, definitely the week following um, for sure. We're going to the Frankfurt Auto Show is coming up. I'm going to be there. Um, so that'll be my first time in Frankfurt and that will be interesting. And I'm also going to be in London and Germany driving some Mercedes Benz uh, AMG products on a racetrack. And I'm excited about that and taking kind of a look at Jaguar's future technology. Uh, and seeing what they have on offer. Awesome. Thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, have yourselves a good long weekend.